Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Arcadian Vanguard Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I am the great Brian Last, and of course, I am joined, as always, by Mike Mills. Mike, how are you this week? I'm good, man. Ready to keep rocking and rolling, doing this Mid-South thing, uh, the promotion that is most near and dear to my heart as we are tackling, I believe it's January the 16th of 1992, Mid-South Wrestling. That's right. Again, you can follow along on the WWE Network. Now, we should make a few notes here at the top of the show. Last week's show, or the previous episode, we haven't decided yet how we're going to format that, but last (laughs) episode, we discussed the Mid-South Wrestling television show from the week before the end of 1981. The last episode of 1981, or I guess actually may technically be the first of 1982, the dates are all kind of funny with these was a year in review, a look at 1981 hosted by Bill Watts. We decided we're not going to cover that on this podcast just because we'd be reviewing a year in review. It just didn't seem right. You can go to the WWE Network, go to YouTube. If you have a private collection, go there and watch that episode. A lot of cool things, a lot of things they show you that lay the groundwork for some of the things happening in Mid-South now. And then the week after that, there's another television show. And that shows on either the 7th or the 9th, depending on what the date you have is. (laughs) And there is literally not a single copy of that in circulation right now. Now, when I say that, I mean, I don't have it. Mike doesn't have it. It's not on the WWE Network. I checked with a couple of tape collectors I know who have a lot of their stuff digitized. They didn't have it. I did the same thing. I I checked, too, with many people that I know and... No one had it either. So between you and I, I think we've got a pretty extensive network that we could check with people who may have it. And, you know, as it will be, we'll put this out and someone will say, I got it. (laughs) You know, but uh, as of now, as of this recording, neither of us could track it down. And the only thought I had was I possibly had it in my Mid-South Wrestling tape collection, which is in the attic somewhere, because... The collection I first purchased in the mid-90s had every television show from 84 on with the local promos, but then there were a batch from 81 and 82 from this specific time period. And the reason these were in there without local promos was, and I think this is kind of a forgotten thing, I don't hear it brought up often, but Mid-South Wrestling in 85 had a syndicated, I shouldn't even say syndicated, had a satellite television show. It wasn't on cable. It was only on satellite TV, and it was the best of Mid-South Wrestling, and they aired those complete episodes from this period of time in the end of 1981, early 1982, and my thought is I possibly have that episode in my collection, but it will be a while before I know that for sure. We'll tell you a little bit about what happened as we tell the story of this week's episode, because things are explained as the show went on, and one of the matches that is on this missing episode, the JYD versus the Iron Sheik will actually air on Mid-South Wrestling in a couple weeks, so we'll wait until that episode to address that and what they did right there. Uh, One thing I should say before we start this show, or, you know, reviewing this show, I should say, is it's a new year, and there's some changes in Mid-South Wrestling because Paul Ellering is gone. (laughs) You know, Paul Ellering, who had that two-week major babyface run on TV with his, you know, lovely ladies and everything else and his... Persian Club Challenge and his rap and a rapport with Reese Bowden, he's gone. So that was a quick in and out after he came back from a six months being laid on the sidelines with his knee injury. Yeah, you know, I'm going to miss uh, Can You Dig It? And Boyd Pierce going, I can. Hot dog, foot long. I mean, just we were treated to that 
insane, ludicrous nonsense over a two to three week span. That was uh, that was uh, entertaining to say the least. And now he's all of a sudden just gone, just like that. You know, territory wrestling, right, Brian? Yes, we got to see the most ridiculous two week babyface run <laughs> in the history of the wrestling business, and then he was gone as fast as he appeared. It was really utterly ridiculous, man. <laughs> it's hard to, I mean, we, we, we've talked about this at nauseum, you know, but I don't know where let's, uh, where do we rank that in ridiculousness and wrestling? You, you're more of a historian than me when it comes to overall territories. I, but, you know, as I watch this back, that's gotta be up there with just something that's just utterly ridiculous. When you factor in Boyd Pierce is, 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 now, not Boyd, uh, uh, Reeser Bowden, I'm sorry. When you factor in Reeser Bowden, where does that rank to you? I mean, uh, you know, I, I got to ask that. <laughs> I don't know about any sort of ranking system, but it is completely <laughs> preposterous because, again, he shows so much on these Mid-South shows, which have some matches that aren't very exciting and also not a lot of promos during the body of the show. They give him more mic time and more angle time for like two weeks in a row than anyone else on the roster. And then he's gone. He's just, it's like the weirdest thing because for two weeks there, he's all over that show. And then he's just gone. Yep. Yep. Him and his, uh, can you dig it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can. Good old Reese Biden. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He just bounces on out. But you know, that was like, like we just said, that's, that's kind of like territory wrestling, you know, people come and go very often in these uh, federations back in the day. Yeah, and Ellering would have a relatively short career, which ended not too long after this. So who knows? We'll see what we can find out about why he left. I should make note here at the top of the show, Bill Watts is in the co-host chair, and or a color commentator chair, I should say. And he has some sort of weird giant medallion, it appears, on his shirt. Yeah, what at, the At first I thought that? it was part of the microphone because it was so big. And then I'm like, oh, no, that's his shirt. I don't know what that was. I tried to figure it out and even zoomed in. I can't, I don't have a clue. It's just some big, huge looking emblem that I thought was the microphone as well at first, but it's not. So anybody out there who knows what it is, feel free to message us, I guess, because we couldn't figure it out. Now, in talking about this missing episode, they make reference to it here at the top of the show. They say the winner of the dream match they've been building up for weeks Send in your votes to your local television station. Vote for your dream match. The winning match was Ted DiBiase defending the North American title against Paul Orndorff. That was on the previous week's show. We don't see any clips of it. We don't know exactly what happened, but they make reference to Orndorff winning and losing the North American title within a minute. So something happened. We don't know exactly what. Uh, I make mention of Watts' shirt. Boyd isn't as flashy as usual. It's a rather subdued Boyd. It's only like a polka dot shirt with a red blazer nice big old big old collar though huh on it i mean he, he those collar that collar had some wings man he could he looked like he was getting ready to fly off yeah there are a lot of guys who took a while for them to get out of that 70s fashion sense yeah boy boy had the 70s deal going on right there you're right though not as flashy but again not bland either you know if you if you know what bland is the opening match you want to talk excitement this is excitement personified it's the Monk versus Brian Blair. I think we saw, if we didn't see this exact match several weeks back, we saw them in a tag match or something. No, I think, I think you're exactly right. I want to say it was the Monk versus Blair, and I want to say the finish was the exact same thing as it was in this match. I'm pretty sure that was about 
I don't want to say four weeks ago, but we're talking about maybe the first or second episode that we did on this podcast was these two guys. I'm almost certain, and that's me not looking at any notes right now. I'm pretty sure it was these two with the exact same finish. One thing I noticed that was pretty cool is the previous show we reviewed was the end of 1981. This is the first taping, I believe, from January 6, 1982. It aired a few days later, but it was taped on January 6 in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's the same fans in the front row that were at the previous December taping. Obviously, it's a different day, so it's not just another time of the same taping. But it's the same old people, the same old man with the cowboy hat and the cigarette, the same teenage girls in the front row. It's the entire same front row as the previous taping. So we'll see, you know, as each taping happens, how much uh, changeover there is in the audience. My my notes were not as detailed as yours with that, but I did note the same old guy with the cowboy hat that occasionally has a cigarette smoking in that front row. Doesn't hardly, he never shows expression. He just sits there. That's right. Straight looking forward. I mean, just doesn't, I mean, he, he barely moves. He's just, he's almost a stationary figure, but, uh, same guy. You're right. Same guy with his cigarette. It's so eighties when you think about it, you know, because you know, you had this, you could smoke anywhere at this point in time in America. Right. I mean, it, it, it didn't matter where you were. You could pull out a cigarette and smoke pretty much anywhere. And he's just sitting there with his cigarette. Occasionally you'll see him puff on his cigarette, but he's, uh, he's sitting there enjoying him some wrestling. And you're right. Same old ladies for the most part, same old teenage girls all sitting in that same row. Well, let's now go to a little bit of audio from this match. Not that we're going to listen to play-by-play of Brian Blair versus the Monk, but (laughs) Bill Watts is on commentary for at least a portion of this program, and Watts is going to go over the card and tell us what we need to stay tuned to, and then we're going to come right back pretty quickly after that with some second Bill Watts audio, which is the Bill Watts we know and love, but let's go to this first. Put an arm bar on the other. The Monk wisely went to the ropes, and Brian, with that cat-like reflexes, cleared out of there. Back to his feet. What a six-man tag Grizzly Smith put here. It'd be a main event in any arena in the country. And Grizzly Smith showing the tremendous appreciation to the fans, has let them participate by helping to make the match, and has put it right here on TV. Well, even those fans that are infirm or are unable to due to physical handicaps will get to see that great main event up here right next on Mid-South Wrestling. Mr. Olympia's back, Ed Wyskowski's back, Dick Murdoch, especially challenge match against Bob Root. Also, Mike George is going to meet Bob Orton Jr. So a big, exciting wrestling event here. This next hour should be action-packed, Boyd. It's nice to know that they're putting this dream match on for the infirmed and all the sick people who can't make it out to the <laughs> arenas. What an explanation that is. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm just like... The, the thing you know the thing about this match too Brian the, the match is going on but there's there's hardly any commentary whatsoever about the match it's it's Watts he starts talking about that about the sick and infirmed and you know making sure we're putting on the matches for them there's I mean you hear the fans a little bit in the background but nobody there's no like boisterous applause there's no like reaction to what's going on in the ring and then Watts he continues going on and on. And I know we got a couple of sound bites from Watts here, but it just, it goes on and on. I mean, first he's, like you said, he's talking about the, the, the sick and infirmed. And now he, I think he transitions in a little bit and he starts talking about 
uh, being a fan of Boyd and his bright apparel he always likes to wear. It, again, nothing on the match. It is the Monk versus Brian Blair. No disrespect to those guys, but nothing on the match is watched in leads into Boyd's suits and whatnot. It, it's just comical. Did you catch the same thing there? I did. Uh, before we get to that, though, there's this classic Watts talking about the air traffic controllers. This This comes out of nowhere. And I'm not exactly sure why it's on the show. This is one of a few things. I don't know why Watts decided to do this, but listen to this. Of course, keep in mind that the air traffic controllers went on strike August 5th, 1981. And of course, Ronald Reagan famously fired them because their strike was illegal. So that's August 5th, 81. This is the beginning of January, 1982. Let's listen to Bill Watts. Bill, I know your time's limited, and I know you explained to me that you have a plane and connections to catch, and I ask you and beg you to stay with us as long as you can. Whether it's one match, two, five, you know you're always welcome. We look forward to your expert commentary, and we hope you'll stay just as long as you can right down to the last minute. Well, thank you, boy. You're gracious. Yes, I do. i got to fly to Dallas and pick up some people, so I have to meet their plane and... Uh... I've really been enjoying my new pressurized Aerostar, and, and even in this controller strike, I want to say one thing, that uh, when you get through the different centers, air traffic control centers, and into the approach controls in the various cities, uh, it seems like a lot of them get to know what my number of my plane is, and they've always really given me a lot of help and expedited my landing and instrument conditions, and I want to thank all those controllers that, that watch our show and let them know that I really appreciate it. Hey, what the hell was that? <laughs> Why is he thanking the air traffic controllers out of nowhere in the middle of the show? <laughs> I, I, it doesn't make any sense, but it kind of goes along with the rest of this match where they're talking about nothing pertaining to the Monk versus Brian Blair. Nothing. There's like, I, I, I watched this a few times and I, I swear Watts does not talk about the two in the ring, nor does Boyd. They're talking about anything and everything but. And I just loved, like, the exchange there. It's like, well, you know, well, you know, uh, uh, Cowboy Watts, uh, we, we're glad you're here and uh, going to gonna call him, call him Matt. But uh, stick with us as long as you can. I know you got to catch a flight to Dallas. And uh, it's like, what? What? He's got to do what? It can't wait another freaking 20 minutes until we wrap up the show. I don't know. Spoiler here, but he leaves with maybe 15 minutes left in the taping. So you couldn't hang on another 15 minutes. It's just kind of I don't. It's just when you start putting it in a time perspective, you're like, what are you talking about? So this was complete. Yes, it was insane. And it just gets more kind of insane, I guess, or, or stays insane throughout this match. Again, it's it's so interesting because it's such an outlandish thing that to be a lie that you have to believe that Watts really have to leave his own. Te- He's the owner of the company. Did he really have to leave his own television taping to go pick up some people in Dallas? Like what? some people. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it was, it, so- pro- it, it prompted him to gush about the air traffic controllers who all recognize the numbers on his plane. <laughs> some people. <laughs> Boyd um, was really effusive when it came to Bill Watts there, how they, they, he begged him to stay. Yes. There'll be a little bit more of that later on, but you mentioned Boyd and you mentioned Watts had some comments about Boyd's outfits. Let's listen to that now. I love it when I'm at one of the big spectaculars that you so much like to attend. People don't realize that besides being a commentator, you're a great fan of wrestling yourself. And I love to watch the people anticipate just what 
bright colored apparel you're going to have on that night, and you never disappoint them. They always see you dressed in something they've never seen you in before, brightly colored, and it it's just gives them all a, a real world to holler at you and say, boy, I like your outfit. Now they're my people, and I love them, and I, I appreciate them watching us week after week, and they're seeing the very best in that ring every time. Look at that power knee lift by Brian Blair, and down goes the monk once again. There we are. Back to the exciting monk versus Brian Blair. <laughs> They're my people, and I love them. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's the only thing he said to them the entire match. Uh, this was just again more, you know. Watts, the, you're you're looking flamboyant in your bright apparel there, and 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 to be honest, for anyone who knows anything about Boyd's suits, the one he has on this week is not really flashy. But I guess it is kind of bright, but it's not it's not as flashy as you, you will see from Boyd in the future. And but those are his people and he loves them, Brian. Uh, Brian Blair wins with a standing guillotine. Yep. Very exciting match. <laughs> yeah, that was that's really it. Those those are my notes and it sounds like those are your notes. But the next match is the big one. It is the second dream match. Now, the first one we know, Paul Orndorff got to go against DiBiase for the North American title. This one, there's two kind of messages they send out at the top of the show, the very top of the show. Bill Watts makes it sound like Grizzly Smith took like a collection of the most demanded matches and put them together, and that's how he came up with the six-man. And then Watts again makes it sound later in the show like this is the match that was voted on. Whatever it is, this dream match is Ernie Ladd and the Samoans. They've been talking about them for several weeks. They are now off their suspension against the dream team of Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes and the Junkyard Dog. What are your thoughts on this, Mike? This was pretty like amazing back in the day. And I've really tried to like rack my brain about if this was the first time that I recall as a kid seeing Andre. Because again, I didn't have access to the tape traders back then. I mean, I'm a six year old kid at this point. I think. I want to say this is the first, besides the magazines, this is the first I remember seeing Andre on TV. So a six-year-old version of me, this was really insane, seeing JYD, Dusty, and Andre tagging against the Wild Samoans, who we haven't really talked about this with Ernie Ladd, but the Wild Samoans who, as a kid, that was probably the first group of wrestlers that terrified me in the same way a Kamala would. And, you know, you're, you're, you're basically, you're wrestlers who just were, you know, you thought they were going to come to your house and eat you uh, le legitimately. I mean, it, it was a fear uh, at one point in my life. So this was really, really, what it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've told this, uh, we'll get to it whenever Kamala comes into the territory, but, I've told this story on Booking the Territory a, a few times. Uh, the very first time I saw the Kamala vignette in 82 with him walking in Jared's backyard and, you know, I really thought he was in the African jungle. I, I You couldn't convince me he wasn't going to find me and eat me. I, I just I was a kid. I had no clue. I had no perspective on life. So, you know, six years old, I'm like, that dude's going to get me, man. I got to I hope my heroes can defeat him. Um, so uh, that that's the back story to why I say that about Afik and Sika, because I thought they were really wild Samoans and were really going to destroy, you know, they would hunt us down as kids and get us. But anyway, so uh, back to it. Yeah, you see the you see these six guys and I just was like, man, this is insane. This is on TV. Holy crap. I'm ready. Let's do it. You know, 
I mean, the Reeser Bowden combined weight, he says a combined weight of 1,015 pounds. That's a lot of beef in that ring, man. I'm glad you were so excited because it seems that the fans in the Irish McNeil Boys Club weren't that excited. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. You know, they didn't seem, you know, this is a quote-unquote dream matchup, right, Brian? You figure that there'd be a little bit more excitement. I mean, you got seven-foot-tall Andre Giant there, Dusty Rose is in, tagging with, you know, the the hero of the territory, the, the most popular babyface of the territory at the time, JYD, against Ernie Ladd and, and the Wild Samoans. And, you know, the live crowd was kind of like, huh, okay, can we get this on? And as a match, you know, it's a fun little match. You know, nothing spectacular. It's more of the star power for that time period of seeing all of these guys on TV in this match. That was the big deal. I guess let's play a little bit of audio for us from the match, Mike. Here is Bill Watts on Ernie Ladd and how he will offset the size of Andre the Giant. There's some on now, but they're rugged guys. The question is, will Ernie Ladd be able to offset enough with his tremendous athletic ability. Hank Scram said the other day on national TV when they were having a fight in one of the playoff games that we need Ernie Ladd here to referee the match to break it up. Told what a great all-pro defensive tackle Ernie Ladd was at the Kansas City Chiefs when Hank Stram was coaching there. Will he be able to offset in any way the awesome power of Andre the Giant? That's the whole key. Because if you can't break the Giant down, you're certainly not going to have Dog and Dusty Rhodes helpless long enough to beat him. Alvin Sigasher stepped into the frying pan when they came off their suspension. And listen to the crowd. They want Ernie Ladd and the Giant. Everybody that rode in, that was one of the matches they wanted. They And Ernie Ladd's trying to avoid the issue. Well, there's another match people voted for for the dream match. Ernie Ladd versus Andre the Dummy. Andre the Giant has it. <laughs> can, can, we, uh, can we poke some holes in the fact that this was a, a fan pick match? Because remember, when they were asking for dream matches, the Samoans were still suspended. No one knew if they would be coming back. So they voted for a group that no one knew if they'd actually be able to wrestle again in territory. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, well, they did announce they people knew the suspension was ending, but that's not even the most ridiculous part. The ridiculous part is that it's the six man. Because even if you're going to say, oh, uh, you know, okay, Andre's in town and Dusty's in town. How many fans were at Andre, Dusty, and the dog versus the Samoans and Ernie Ladd? <laughs> yeah, it's true too. I don't know. It doesn't seem right. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of ludicrous. Well, listen, how do you handle a match? With this much girth in the ring, Watts has some thoughts on how the referee should conduct himself. Let's hear this. I just wonder one thing, Boyd Pierce. Would any referee in a match like this have the nerve to, to call a simple disqualification on a match that some 70% of 100,000 fans pick and they know they want to see it settled among these six men? So how how tightly would the rules be enforced? How would, I, I know that as a referee... Jack Howe or any referee would have to be extremely intimidated out there. Not only how tightly will they be, how tightly can they be? Here we go. That's the lockup everybody wanted to see, these two giants. So, again, Watts knows what's going on, but he still plants this seed in the fans' you know, minds that the referee can't disqualify anyone. How could you do that? Like, how could you upset all the fans that voted for this match? Which is good on his part. Yeah. Uh, you know, that he that he did that. that, that that's... That's smart by Watts there on that one, you know, because um, he's got a point. You know, you don't you don't want this thing to end in a DQ of any sorts because of it. It, it was voted on by all these people, over 100,000 people. 
I, I, I'm with Watts on that one. I, I, and I actually like like how they tried to build this match with these six just big human beings, you know, where the, the Samoans and Lad try to isolate Andre, but they, you know, they, uh, Andre's huge. They can't keep him down. I mean, it's just that's just part of it. So I like, you know, this is one of those things, Brian, where I think we look back at this and it's just like, well, you know, we can poke a lot of holes in it. But for its time, man, we got to see Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant in the same match against the Samoans and Ernie Ladd, uh, you know, with JYD. And that was that. It was. And speaking of Dusty, Watts makes a very interesting comment during this match. And before we tell you about the end of the match, let's go to this comment. Watts talks about Mid-South signing Dusty Rhodes to be his official booking agent. And then he starts naming a bunch of promoters that I got to think most fans in the Mid-South region had no idea what he was talking about. But this is kind of fascinating. Let's listen to this. Well, it made him a world favorite. Last week we saw a momentous occasion for the fans on Mid-South, the actual signing of the contracts with Buster Rhodes made Mid-South his exclusive booking agent. And since then, Grizzly Smith had the phone drawn off the hook. Vince McMahon of Madison Square Garden, Joe Blanchard, San Antonio, Texas, Jim Barnett and Paul Jones of the Omni in Atlanta. The Baba Group out of Japan. All the major, the Inoki Group, all the major promotions around the world have called Grizzly Smith to start getting availability on Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> I mean, first of all, there's another thing we know that was on the missing episode. Was Dusty signing this contract? Yeah, because this is the first we're hearing of it. Right. And then he just names, I mean, he names Anoki and Baba. Like, of all the things that just say on the air on Mid-South, the people who are watching in Louisiana, he names not just the it, Baba group, but the Anoki group. I mean, I'm just fascinated by the detail. The un, It's detail that we love, but in, in reality, some of it may be unnecessary. Not to saying that it shouldn't have happened because it makes it better, but he didn't need to do that. But it's that kind of detail that's just so good. Yeah, I mean, my point of view back then, I don't remember. I remember this match as a kid. I don't remember that line of him saying that about Dusty and all these different groups. Uh, if if it did happen, I, I wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about, what, what was going on in Japan. I mean, even even with the magazines, I don't think I would have had a clue who would have been in ownership over in Japan or whatnot. I mean, so that, that kind of gives it that part probably overdoes it. I, I want to say by that point, I realized there was other wrestling out there, but even then, you know, I didn't know Paul Jones and Barnett in Atlanta and what was going on. Not me at this point in time. So it's good, but you're right. It's probably overdone by the, you know, for the fans who were in Louisiana and Mississippi at that point. One of the big highlights of this match, of course, were the Samoans team up to together body slam Andre the Giant. One of the rare times Andre was ever body slammed on TV, even though it was by two people. Yeah, and um, did you did you have this note too? So they, they double-team Andre and actually slam him. They, this match was really short also. I mean, I think they were like five minutes in before it really broke down and it was by no means any type of six-man tag match. You know, before JYD and Dusty double back drop lad and then Andre comes off the second rope corner in a very awkward fashion and JYD Andre and JY um, and, and JYD JYD Andre and Dusty get the win but did you notice one how quick it was and then the awkward coming off the second rope by Andre awkward he couldn't climb the rope he kept slipping <laughs> he, he kept trying yeah. to grip the rope with his foot and he just couldn't and eventually he just put one foot on the rope the other one didn't 
land right and he just kind of like one foot dove off the rope on the ernie lad for the pin yeah it was very uh you're right i say awkward off the second he you're right the left foot he could not get he tried it and it slipped like twice and then he just like screw it i'm jumping and ernie lad took the brunt of it from big old seven foot four andre and they got the win. So, but it was really quick. I think I timed it, man. It couldn't have been like six minutes this whole match. So, a big time dream match was like six minutes of TV. How long was uh, Brian Blair versus the Monk? It might have been around the same length of time that they talked about absolutely nothing for that match. Yeah, it's probably it probably was close. It's probably about the same amount. Not the quickest match with a main event caliber wrestler that we'll see on this show, but we'll get to that shortly. Right. The next match is Mr. Olympia, who they mentioned made his debut the week before, so that's another possible match for the missing episode, versus Zapata, who you may remember last on this show we called by his name, Carlos Zapata. It appears that with the dawn of 1982, he has dropped the Carlos, and much like Cher, Madonna, and I don't know who else, he is now just Zapata. And he's he switched too because uh, at one point I think he was uh, in the babyface corner as Carlos Zapata. Now he's just Zapata. You know that's that uh, 1982 creativity with the um, who, how, who, inconsistencies in calling people by name. So yes, he was uh, he was just Zapata here. And I was trying to remember. I know he was in world class around the same time in '82, and I think he was Carlos Zapata there. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that. So not just Zapata, but yeah. Um, Brian, I know we got a bunch of sound bites here. I wanted to oh, mention yeah. something as we get as we get into this one. And I, know, I think this is the first one you're going to play. Just correct me if I'm wrong, but Watts talking about the Woody the ring engineer no. that had to check the ring. No, that's was, actually uh, that's actually the second sound bite. Oh, okay. Well, I don't I'm getting ahead of myself. So I, maybe I'll let you get to the first one first or if you've got comments on that before we go there. Well, the first soundbite we're going to play here, this match, Bill Watts is just in a special place (laughs) because we have three different soundbites and none of them have anything to do with the previous one from this match. Uh, I'll just give you the the result, by the way. Uh, Mr. Olympia wins with a sleeper. And then, of course, after the match, he wakes up Zapata, uh, like all good baby faces are supposed to do. Alfred Neely's the ref. This is Bill Watts. I don't know what caused him to start talking about this, but he's comparing Carlos Zapata in appearance to someone he knows. Oh, yeah. Well, again, Mr. Olympia from Parts Unknown looks definitely like a well-conditioned athlete. With a mask, you never know who they are. Like Zapata. Uh, Not a lot of a name. You don't really know. I'll tell you, Zapata reminds me of a guy called the Welcher. He's a guy that uh, lives in Jackson, Mississippi. He's a, Jack Curtis knows him also. Uh, I guess he got his, his his nickname, the Welcher, because of, obviously he's uh, he's welched on several uh, business dealings with associates there in, uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. And I think his name prior to being nicknamed that by all his friends was Katsabulis. I even know the man's family. He's got a wonderful family. Lovely wife, Weta, a gracious host, tremendous children. And I know that every now and then it embarrasses them, but uh, some of his antics. And he's, uh, but he's got the nickname there around Vicksburg, Jackson, Mississippi area. They call him Katsabulis the Welcher. This is Zapata. He's against Mr. Olympia. Okay, what the hell was that? 
<laughs> what the hell? Because you think it's just like a typical story. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a guy. He's, you know, he's the Welcher. You know why he is. And that's why he's the Welcher. And then watches is like, and I know his wife. And I know why. What the hell was that? Wait, you know what this is reminding me of is there's going to, I don't know what that was. I have no explanation for it. I, I mean, I did, was he thinking of this on the spot or did he have notes that he was going to mention this about Zapata for some strange reason? Who knows? But there is either later on in 82, maybe it's in 83, Watts starts talking about the Oklahoma football team in the middle of a match and the Oklahoma wrestling team. Maybe it's 82 when uh, when uh, Dr. Death first comes in and – and he goes and he starts on this like three minute, not even a tirade, just to talk about Oklahoma football and Oklahoma wrestling. And he's just completely avoiding the match. And he starts talking about his kids like this feels like the first sign of Watts doing something like that. I have no clue where he concocted this story. What was it based on anything of truth? I would love to know. Because that would even be more amazing, the Welcher, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the heck Watts was talking about here. But it gets better because he's going to keep avoiding talking about the match as we move forward. And maybe I'm missing something. I expect someone to be like, oh, how could you get this wrong? This is this is what the expression means. But he calls him the Welcher, but then he goes, I understand he was also known by Katsabulus. And it's right. Like, I don't. I don't know what that is. Is that some kind of expression in Louisiana that you know of or anything? Yeah, not. No, nah, I don't. No? Okay. I, I don't know. You're at, and I live there. Catsabulus the Welcher. Like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> if I could spell it, I'd Google it. Um, I don't know. Someone in Louisiana is gonna say, "How could you not know that, Mike?" Oh, you got me. I mean, I spent thirty years of my life down there, born and raised in New Orleans, but I do not know what that is. This Welcher is probably like on the run from some debt collectors or something. And he's like in a hotel room and he's watching Mid-South. And all of a sudden he hears Bill Watts like, and I know his wife, Diane. And his family, they're embarrassed about him too. Like even his kids. <laughs> even this guy's sitting and there. And the like, guy's like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> well, Can you imagine? Yeah. The first? yeah I, I, there's, no, <laughs> there's no question in my mind the Welcher was probably a Mid-South wrestling television viewer. Probably. Probably. Well, I can see that. Let's move from Katsabulus, the Welcher, to someone you referenced a little earlier. Woody, the ring engineer, as he's referred to here. Let's go to this little comment right here about Woody, the ring engineer. What a six man. I'm still, I, I, I know Woody, our, our ring engineer uh, for Mid-South, uh, right after the giant jumped off the ropes on... Ernie Ladd, and you had all that tremendous impact, almost 800 pounds in the same area. He went out and got under the ring uh, canvas there and looked at it, and he gave Grizzly Smith the high sign that it was still holding, but it was bent. There was a lot of weight in there. Ernie Ladd, uh, the Samoans had to wait a while. Ernie Ladd acted like he had some real rib problems before they took him out of there. There was a tremendous amount of force focalized on top of Ernie Ladd. Well, Zapata. It's a catchy name, Zapata. Yeah, it's a good wrestling name if you think about it. Zapata. Just, you know, one, one, not even Carlos Zapata, just saying Zapata. So maybe that's why they renamed him. Uh, at the same time, we uh, figured out that uh, Mid-South Wrestling had an engineer named Woody who was the uh, ring engineer. 
And he checked it, and he figured out that the beam was bent going across the ring, but it was still holding steady, as uh, Woody told Grizzly Smith it was fine, but just a little bit bent right there. What a great little detail <laughs> in the show. Like The six-man already happened. We just want to let you know we had someone inspect the ring. And, uh, yeah, it's a little damaged, but we're going to keep going, which, by the way, doesn't sound like that's something that the Athletic Commission should allow, but obviously they did. Hey. It um, you know what it it did lend itself to reality though. I mean, you you look at who was in that ring, and the the size of those guys, and you know if you're sitting at home and you hear that, you're like, hey, well, yeah, I can believe that thing was bent. I mean, did you see that big giant come off the second rope? So there was some realism there. I mean, that, that was fine. That one, th- that statement. I mean, we played it. It's nowhere near as off the wall as uh, the Welcher that we just heard a story of. No, it isn't, but. We've mentioned that Bill Watts was in rare form on this show, and if you think maybe he was thinking about having a good time, maybe he was. Let's go to this next soundbite now. (laughs) Same match, Mr. Olympia versus Zapata. Let's go to Bill Watts. Well, we've got another special challenge match because of what happened last week in the Orndorff DiBiase match. Bob Roop has challenged Dick Murdoch, and he's another one. I'll tell you, when you challenge Dick Murdoch, you don't have to hold your breath to see if he's going to answer it. You don't send invitations out to fight Dick Murdoch. All you got to do is look at him wrong. Used to be the most fun I used to have. Boy, Pierce was going down Bourbon Street in New Orleans with Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, and Dick Murdoch and following them about 10 or 15 yards behind. It looked like Pied Piper going through the crowd with the Giant and Murdoch and Rhodes clearing the way and all the fans just turning around. He excited all of Bourbon Street. And, of course, they went to their favorite hangout, Pat O'Brien's. And celebrated there after the Superdome. Here's Mr. Olympia. So he just did everything he could not to talk about this match. And he talked about anything he wanted. And by the way, this is the last match that he calls on the show. (laughs) It's probably a good thing (laughs) at this point because Watts is just all over the board. Yeah, he, you know, he talked about going to Pat O'Brien's. I've been there a time or two. And walking 15 yards behind Murdoch and Andre as they uh, they walked their way through Bourbon Street. I must admit that probably was a heck of a sight to see those three walking down Bourbon Street back in that time period. And uh, I think Watts was thinking about maybe he didn't have a plane to catch. Maybe he was uh, going to catch a few cocktails, sounds like. Sure does. And uh, he's gone. And he left just in time because he missed Ed Wiskowski versus Tommy Wright. Ed Wiskowski wins with his patented side backbreaker, referee Jack Howe. I mentioned earlier how Boyd Pierce really put Watts over on the show now. Now, Watts is, at least in storyline, gone. Maybe he's still there. Who knows? I don't know how fast he got out of the building. But we know he's the boss. He's going to know what happened on this show. Here's right. here's Boyd Pierce in kiss-ass mode like I've never heard before from him. <laughs> Listen to this. And Cowboy Bill Watts has left our television table. We told you in the opener that we hoped he'd stay as long as he could. He had plane connections to get. He had to leave. If he was here, I wouldn't say this because he wouldn't want me to. But I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, wrestling fans, a great man inside the body of Cowboy Bill Watts. If you knew all the good things he did for people, unannounced, and people never know anything about it, he does it anonymously for all the crippled children and visits the old folks' home and does it for a lot of... Uh, 
nonprofit organizations. Just a great man to be associated with. I've watched his career in the ring, proud to be his friend outside the ring, and anytime he's in this area, there's no one more knowledgeable as a guest commentator than the Oklahoma Stampeder Cowboy Bill Watts. I wish he was here, but he's gone, and we understand that because he had connections to make. But he'll be back, and we'll look forward to his return. Right. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> Watts is visiting sick old people in hospitals. <laughs> just he put him over like he's John Cena. <laughs> In 1982, you know, because wrestlers were visiting old folks' homes and going to see sick children. Um, and he's yeah, gone, but I, we sure wish he was still here. I mean, Jesus. Right. All right. Well, it was, I had two things there. Uh, one, Boyd can finally get a word in because he announces Watts is gone to catch his plane flight. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, one part of it. And the other part was, yes, he's commenting on all the good deeds that Watts does in the territory, putting him over. So he was in uh he was in kiss butt mode for sure right here. And that's all we're gonna say about Ed Wiskowski versus Tommy Wright. First appearance yeah. of Tommy Wright on TV that we've seen, and um and that says it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean well Boyd Boyd wasn't too happy with Wiskowski because Boyd felt like Waskowski just needed to finish the guy off and stop toying with him. But after it was all said and done, Waskowski wins with a backbreaker in a pretty quick match versus Tommy Wright. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a, the, the one minute, two minute variety, but it was quick enough. And uh, that was that. I'll tell you, in my opinion, none of these Ed Waskowski matches are quick enough when it comes to his run in Mid-South. It's just I, I can appreciate other things he did in his career, especially in Portland. This run, these matches on TV are not doing anything for me. Yeah, they they're, they they leave a lot to be desired. Well, this next match is a challenge match. Apparently, there was a challenge last week on the missing episode. Dick Murdoch makes his return to the area, challenges Bob Roop. And this happened last week, like we said. The crowd has been dead the whole show, Mike. The crowd finally comes alive for Murdoch. Not only does the crowd come alive, the old people in the front row start reacting to Murdoch. Yeah, they like they like them some Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. They like they like them some Murdoch. Um, uh, I find, you know, Dick Murdoch, he, black trunks, you know, and and not really a colorful character, so to say. Uh, as far as like, I mean, appearance, you know, being flashy is what I mean, but. You know, he comes out and he's got that connection with the people and the people were they were up, you know. I mean, there was like at the very start of the match, Bob Roop hit Murdoch with the, like a big elbow when Murdoch comes off the ropes. And it's just another perfect example of the rough style of Mid-South. And, you know, I know that was that move was against Murdoch. But, you know, the people if you watch the people in the reaction, they're 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 for Murdoch. They want Murdoch to get this win. And they are. um they are definitely cheering for Murdoch. They are big time in Murdoch's corner right here. I just love that the old people were so into Murdoch. Cause I'm just picturing them seeing him there 10 years ago. And, you know, they kind of know him. He's more familiar to them than most other guys on the roster. And they really get into this. Like we said, Murdoch's great as always. But, you know, one of the things I found interesting, he does kip ups in this match with yes. assistance from Bob Root, but he does it a few times, and I thought that was really interesting. And I guess, Mike, let's listen to the audio of Boyd calling the end of the match, because there's a lot going on. Orndorff tries to interfere. He, he trips Murdoch during the Brain Buster, and we'll explain whatever Boyd doesn't, but let's play Boyd Pierce right now. Here he goes. Here he goes for that. Oh, Wait a minute. 
Paul Arnbach coming in from the outside, reached under the ropes. Now you see him coming around now on the screen as Big Murdoch going for that devastating pile driver. Paul Arndar coming on the scene, reaches and leaping up, but Murdoch takes care of Root and puts one on Paul Arndar. And they wrap him up, whether they can hold him or not. Whoa, and he crashes. Arndar coming in the ring. Root is thrown out, and they collide in the center, and Murdoch, there he's biting on the nose, and here comes Arndar. And out to Wendy, falls to the bell. Kicking away. Wait a minute. It's Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase in the ring. And Bob Roop and Paul Arndark quickly making their exit as Ted DiBiase chases them toward the dressing room. And there you see the winner because of outside interference, Dick Murdoch takes the victory over Bob Roop. We'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Some interesting things there. One of the cool spots, Mike, is when after Orndorff tries to interfere, actually does interfere, but they do the spot where Roop sends Murdoch into the ropes and Orndorff tries to reach under and trip him, and Murdoch goes into the rope and actually jumps over his hand and then still hits the spot to Roop, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it, because it made it look like, you know, the, the face was outsmarting the heel there, so I agree with you. That was That was good there. And then in terms of all the chaos, you know, as Boyd pretty much explained it, although he yelled pile driver when it was brain buster. Uh, but other than that, there's uh, Orndorff's at ringside. He gets involved. Him and Root collide because Murdoch outsmarts them. And then DiBiase runs in to make the save once they take the get the advantage on Murdoch. It's interesting when you think about long term, where things go in almost four years, the whole Murdoch-DiBiase angle. Here's DiBiase saving Murdoch. And, you know, part of the whole beginning of that angle was Murdoch saying, hey, Teddy, step away from the flare match. Let me get it. You know, I've been taking care of you for years. You owe this to me. And, you know, here, here they yeah. are all these years before. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, there's no way, obviously, that Watts was projecting out to 1985 at that point. But you're right. It ties back. When you think about what happens in 85, it ties back into a moment like this. So that's a good tie-in, you know, three years after, over three years, almost uh, it about three years and nine months after the fact great it's it's really a good tie-in for what goes on down the line but you're right you know I, if you notice i like uh i like boyd here on commentary too because you know you think you don't think of boyd let me ask you this you would never think of boyd as mr excitement would you just in general i mean no not really i mean yeah and, and, i mean he's excitable i guess but he seems rather seems rather steady paced Right, and and but you heard the excitement in his voice here when it was breaking down, and uh, I thought, I thought for someone like Boyd who doesn't come out of his seat often, I, I to me it added to it when DiBiase hits the ring and he chases everyone off. Well, well, while all the chaos was going on, not just DiBiase, but I I thought that was a uh, I thought that was good on Boyd's part. Well, they come back from commercial after all that, and Ernie Ladd is at the desk and he's upset. Let's go to this mic, and then on the other side, tell us your thoughts on this. I'm not leaving. You can't make me leave. Let me tell you something, Boyd Pierce. I'm taking this part of time. I don't care what Mid-South do. I say, I've been suspended once. I can be suspended again. I don't care. I'm fed up. I'm really the giant, the dumb giant, Billy Rose. They broke every rule in the book. 
We got ripped right off. That's robbery. That's robbery. What more can I tell you? What more can I tell you? That's robbery. That's robbery. They broke every rule in the book. They then they rang three of them at a time. Then all three of them pile up on me. They all threw up in the air like I'm a big bag of wind or whatever. I'm sick and tired. And don't look at the ring. Don't look at the ring. Yes, Alpha and sick in the ring. Don't tell me that they're not supposed to wrestle. I bought their contracts. And we're going to improve this point right now. We're going to hurt somebody. And we're going to hurt everybody. See, Junkyard Dog was responsible for this. And anybody that is friend, I'm a servant warning on him now. If it's Andre the Giant, I'm going to hurt him. If it's Dirty Rhodes, I'm going to hurt him. If, it, if, if it's his partner, oh, 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 Mike George, I'm going to hurt him. Anybody that crossed my trail, I'm going to hurt him. Until I get that dog, I'm going to get even. And I'm going out here and show you how it's done right now. And don't say nothing. I don't want to hear nothing. Well, there you have it. Much a surprise to me as it was to you. The next match, it's Frank Monty and Jesse Barr against Rick Pereira and Jerry Novak, but you heard what Ernie Ladd said, that he had bought the contract and was inserting Alpha and Sika, so that must be the way it is. Let's go for the introduction and see what happens. Ernie says, I don't want to hear nothing, and then Boyd right away starts talking. (laughs) I love Ernie Ladd's voice and delivery on these. He's so frustrated, too, right now. He's stuttering. And whether he was doing it on purpose or not on purpose, it still sold it more. I have always was an Ernie Ladd fan when it came down to this. And Ernie Ladd is – I just love his his reactions and mannerisms right here and the way he's speaking, how upset and mad he is at what took place earlier as he throws it to the ring and he's saying, you know, Alpha and Seeker are now going to make a statement against Jesse Barr and Frank Monty. Poor Rick Ferreira and Jerry Novak bounced from this card. <laughs> Thankfully, as the Samoans take their place. Yeah, yeah. Now, Brian, you, um, I think you're probably a lot more familiar with Jesse Barr than I am. Uh, Jesse Barr spent a lot of time in Portland, right? Well, he's from there. He's the son of Sandy Barr, the brother of Art Barr, who, um, you know, unfortunately passed away young. And yeah, he's from there, but he wrestled all over the place. He was in Mid South here. In later in 82, he was in Memphis. He was part of Jim Cornette's group of wrestlers that he managed. He would appear in Florida a few years later. I think he had a few to Brian Blair, actually. And then, I guess most famously, he became Jimmy Jack Funk in the World Wrestling Federation. And he kept that gimmick even after leaving. I know he wrestled for like the USWA as Jimmy Jack Funk. And that was really it. You know, you don't hear too much more about him after, you know, the early 90s. Even that may be pretty late. You know, it's one of the last big stories you hear about him is, of course, the famed Haku fight, where allegedly Haku bit his nose off in the middle of a fight. But he was always wearing the Jimmy Jack Funk mask, so you really can't tell. <laughs> but um, I, but that's I don't really know why he had more of a prominent run in Portland. I have no clue where I'm getting that from. I'm, I'm uh, again, maybe it's something I'm seeing in my mind just because I don't know much about Portland, and I just remember seeing Jesse's name in the old mags, uh, you know, as ranked in Portland. So that's why I was thinking about but that's that. That's where he's from. That's where he was from, and he Got, grew up, and yeah. of course, he worked there. Yeah. Hey, before you go to the close of the match, did you see the spot during the match where Barr was getting in some offense and then Barr goes to hit off the ropes? And when he comes off, Sika just chops Barr and swats him down like a fly. I mean, he just nails him. I just, uh, that was everything (laughs) that exemplified, I guess, the Samoans in Mid South. He just like, 
I mean, it was like a gnat. He's like, pop. Yeah, okay, don't do that again, dude. And <laughs> Bar just goes down. I was like, wow. And the Samoans actually win when Sika pins Bar with a Samoan drop. Yeah. And it's a relatively quick match, and it still will be beaten the next match in terms of quickness. <laughs> it's the Mississippi yeah. champion, Bob Orton Jr., non-title match against Mike George. Let me point something out to you before you say anything else about this match. I'm sitting here watching this episode 30-plus years since the last time I've seen it. And as I'm going through it, I'm thinking to myself, wait, they're about to start another match. They start this match with less than four minutes of TV time remaining. So I'm already like, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? Like, what are they going to do? Something's going to go down. Boyd Pierce is watch showing back up. I don't know because I don't remember. But I just wanted to point that out. Four minutes of TV time, and that's it, is left. Nothing. I mean, it's like, can you, I mean, off the top of your head, I'm sure you can recall this happening in territory wrestling, but, you know, four minutes remaining, and we're going to start a new match with the Mississippi heavyweight champion, Bob Orton Jr. That's not even the first time that's happened in Mid-South. That's true. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm t- I should have phrased it anywhere else because you're right. This happened about four weeks ago, five weeks ago <laughs> yeah. on like the first match where it was like, all right, we're out of time. And there's like, they're still wrestling and we're going off air. No resolution. Um, but no, you're, this is just like, I guess this happened a lot more than I, what I realized as a kid. You're right. You're, I mean, they literally started this, but see that last one, I didn't think it started with less than four minutes of TV time. I mean, I think they had like three and a half minutes remaining at this point when they decided to start this thing. I felt like the, the, I felt like when it happened before we, we started with more time left. Maybe I'm just not remembering it right. Possibly, but all I know is there was no time to start the Samoans match. And then they started another match after that. (laughs) And it's this Bob Orton versus Mike George match. Really, really quick, Alfred Neely, the referee, Mike George wins almost like instantaneously with an atomic drop into Orton getting bumped into the corner, coming back into a Russian leg sweep. But let's listen to the audio of Boyd Pierce's call of this match, because there's a whole aftermath kerfluffle stemming from Ernie Ladd's comments during a previous segment. And we're going to end this with some Dusty Rhodes audio. Let's hear this right now. Now he comes in. There he goes, shooting him right into the turnbuckle. Backdrop. And there he is, on top, Mike George. And hit the ring. Hitting the ring, Ernie Ladd and Appa and Sika. The Samoan Warriors, you heard Ernie Ladd say that he's after anybody that's a friend of the junkyard dog, whether it's Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, Mike George. And here they come. Here comes the troops. Dusty Rhodes, the junkyard dog, they just trying to even things up, not to get ahead, and you see them move in a hurry as the junkyard dog and Dusty Rhodes come on the scene to the help of a befallen Mike George, as you've seen the, the big cat Ernie Ladd bring his Samoan warriors Appa and Sika into the ring. He had promised earlier, like we said, and you heard him say, that anybody is a marked man that's a friend of the junkyard dog. And that includes the big man in the ring now, Dusty Rhodes, and includes the man they were talking about immediately and directly, the junkyard dog. And you can still see the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, who 
just signed a contract with Mid-South Sports. There you see it. There is the official victory going to Mike George because Ernie Ladd led the Samoans into the ring, resulting in a disqualification and a victory to Mike George. Dusty Rhodes and the junkyard dog leaving the ring with Mike. They came to his assistance. They're his friends and team partners. And Ernie Ladd, here's Dusty. We'll see if we can get a hold of him. Dusty, you heard earlier what Ernie Ladd said. Anybody, any friend of the junkyard dog or any partner is a marked man by him and the Well, let me tell you something. I am a friend of the junkyard dog, Ernie Ladd. You come out here talking your trash, spinning your cash, running down everybody in sight. Dusty Rhodes is a friend of the junkyard dog. Anytime you want to bring them two big baboons and jump on me and junkyard dog booty, then come on and jump on them. Stuff like this is going to cease, you understand? This stuff going to cease. Because me and the dog ain't going to take no slack. And when we get to barking, when we get to barking and biting at your booty, you're going to be running for the Golden Gate Bridge, you understand? We're going to take care of business, Mr. Boyd. That's you know it, Dusty. All our time is gone. Ernie Ladd knows what you're talking about. Till next week, Boyd Pearson, goodbye, everybody, from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. And with that, <laughs> another episode of Mid-South in the books. Uh, Dusty Rose kill me. Something like that's gonna cease, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, that was, that was Dusty. Uh, I was just watching this laughing. Um, Dusty had a fascination with booty right there. He said booty a couple of times in his promo. Yeah, and was it a, was it like a gay reference that he said, I'm gonna send you to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> It's out of left field because yeah. <laughs> we're in Louisiana. We're in South Louisiana. You know, and I said, well, we're shooting this in Shreveport. But uh, airing in the South, in the Mid-South, uh, with Louisiana and Mississippi. Yeah, that was a that was a strange reference. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I thought that was, man, they start, this happened. So, like, I don't know if any, if you're, if you're not watching this and you're only listening to us, I mean, literally, this thing starts with, again, three and a half minutes of TV time. And this match ends within probably 90 seconds to 60 seconds of the match starting. I mean, it's very, very quick where George pins Orton and then Offa and Seekle get involved. I mean, you heard what you heard right there is probably only missing really probably about 60 seconds of the match. Uh, that's I mean, you heard basically the entire end of the show uh, with the exception of the 60 to 90 seconds of the match that took place right before it. Yeah, I mean that was it was just so quick it was ridiculous considering it was Bob Orton Jr. in the match, uh, doing the job. Uh, and then pretty he, much he lingers around, but he doesn't really get involved in the aftermatch. Uh, one other thing I found funny when Dusty goes over to the little announce area where Boyd is, Boyd stands up with the microphone to interview him. There's a little old man that you see peeking like on the side of the wall. If you yeah. if you go back and watch, you'll see like all of a sudden it's this little face like what's going on over there. And it's really quick because <laughs> the camera moves, but. That cracked me up. Uh, Dusty was great though. What a, what a great promo. Yeah, yeah. I, he just he popped me on that. This is gonna cease. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> it was just the list for Dusty, but he he was great there, man. Dusty, it's so crazy. You know, you see these. God, you know, everybody. I say this every time I watch these old wrestling shows. It's like, man, such and such was so young. Well, duh, Mike. That's what happens. Everybody gets old, you know. But it's like you watch it. It's like, man, he was just so young back then. Uh, it's it's insane. Like when you look at him, man, it's just 
I don't know, Brian. I watch these things, and it's it's amazing to me when I think 35 years ago these things aired. That's a long time. It is. Dusty, to me, Dusty still had a couple more years where he was, like, young and could be cool. And after that, you know, it may have been a bit too much. But, you know, you look at JYD here, and then you look at him just a few years later and how different he was. But here he is just, he's ripped. He's just in great shape. And it's just so many interesting things happening. Bill Watts is so good on commentary. And so interesting. You literally have to listen to everything he's going to say because you can't wait to hear what he's going to say next. Yeah, you don't know if it's going to be off the wall or something pertinent to the match or the match that is coming up or the match that just happened. It's, it's you know, and again, I, I admit, it, Watts, if we saw it in this episode, Watts is not always on the money talking about matches. A lot of times he's veering off into uncharted waters and having discussions about things that have nothing to do with the match, as we saw from a few matches in this episode where he didn't even talk about, I mean, you think about that, right? The monk versus Brian Blair and Carlos Zapata versus Mr. Olympia. I don't think Bill Watts said one word about the match. The whole <laughs> one of those matches, he just completely avoided it. Well, he said Brian Blair was a great athlete, but then he just kind of went back to talking about the Welcher and <laughs> whatever else he was <laughs> talking about. <laughs> whatever else came to mind. Yeah, it's true. Well, there we go. Another episode of Mid-South Wrestling down. Another one coming at you next time here on the show. Mike, as we wrap things up, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and hear more of the fine podcast that you produce? Oh, give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. You can also follow Book in the Territory at BTT underscore podcast. You can follow us or like us on Facebook. It's Facebook.com slash Booking the Territory. All of our shows can be found at tinyurl.com slash BTT pod if you just want to listen to it online. And that will that same link will take you to the basically NWA shows that we do, along with the Smoky Mountain Review shows that drop every single Sunday night. Uh and then uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcast from, whether it's Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, uh, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, Stitcher, when they get their act together, it's there. Just search Booking the Territory, and you will find all of our wonderful podcasts. And uh, we appreciate you checking us out and giving us a try. And, again, we just like to have fun. We talk classic wrestling. Mostly what we're going through right now uh, is the old Saturday night shows, along with uh, a list of other topics that we include in our Thursday show. And then the Sunday night show is specific, or that debuts on Sunday night is specifically nothing but Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And that's, uh, that's where you can find us. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605 Pod. You can follow the Super Podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Super Podcast. Get updates about the show. Vote on the top 10. Get information about what's coming up. Find out about what merchandise is going to be on sale soon. See the Travis Echo artwork. See the pictures of people in the 605 shirts. So much to do. And that's Facebook.com slash Super podcast and of course you can hear the 605 super podcast by going to 605pod.com and downloading any episode of the show going back to the beginning or of course you could subscribe on itunes stitcher podcast at google play and everywhere you find your steal your favorite podcast from the mid-south wrestling television review is a production of the arcadian vanguard podcast network for mike mills i'm the great brian last until next time tally ho mm-hmm.